Welcome to Positive Productivity, episode 164. The Positive Productivity podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity Podcast. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and today I am thrilled to have Jeff McManus. Jeff is an author, speaker, and the director of landscape services at the University of Mississippi. He grows plants, he grows people, and he grows ideas. Jeff, right away, that is so phenomenal. I love that, growing plants, growing people, and growing ideas. Wow. Yeah. Just like Kim, I love uh, I love to grow things. So that's just part of my passion, and it works well that I get to do plants and people. I have no problem growing the ideas or the people, <laughs> but plants, I have a you, black. You, you have black, black thumbs, thumb. huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to have to get you to one of my boot camps then. All right. Brown, brown thumbs to green thumbs. <laughs> that sounds incredible. Jeff, could you share a little bit of your backstory with the listeners? Tell them how you got into where you are today. Oh, sure. Well, I, I started here in 2000 at the University of Mississippi, and we had a ragtag force of, oh, 31 people. Our, uh, cha- we had big orders to become one of the prettiest campuses in America that we wanted to recruit top students and athletes and faculty and staff to the university. And we knew based on studies that landscaping played a huge role in that. And our campus was not there. We were, we were probably in last place, laughing, laughing place. We were just in a place that wasn't good. And so we had to take this ragtag team, this toxic environment and somehow figure out how to make them into national champions. And that's, that's what our story is about. And that's a little bit of what I've gotten to do. And we've won five national championships in landscaping now and being one of the best of the best when it comes to overall campus beautification. And um, it's really not in how you grow the plants, it's how you grow the people. Yeah, I know you say that you grow weeders into leaders, which (laughs) I think is fabulous. Can you touch upon that a little bit for us? Well, sure. It's all about the attitude and a weeder is an attitude of a person who is really not fully engaged, maybe as they they are just for a paycheck, doesn't think that their life provides value to a, for a bigger purpose or uh, they don't have the passion and excitement for what they do. And so what I wanted to do is get people who were motivated on the inside, you know, that intrinsic motivation. Really, that's the deep dive and getting people excited about coming to work, wanting to be the experts. And so I started off on an experiment to see, can I really develop leaders uh, from the mindset that we had of, we had a lot of weeders at the time. And we, and we have. We've now developed a culture of leadership where men and women here see themselves not only in a, as a landscape leader, but they also see themselves as mentoring uh, the college students who work with us and even their own kids. They see themselves as a bigger role. Uh, we've tapped into that core value of their life, uh, that their life has purpose and meaning. And work is just a part of that. It's a way to facilitate that and to to help other people. What did the journey into wanting this wanting to make this transition happen look like for you? Were you doing personal and professional development on your own or what really prompted it? Well, I've always been growing 
and myself, my own personal development, because I listen to a lot of books and I listen to speakers, TEDx talks, and I'm constantly on the growth pattern going to seminars. I'm, I'm probably a personal growth junkie. And so I really enjoy the process. And I wondered if I could get my staff as engaged and developing as well. And so really, uh, we have these things called leader to leader meetings where we walk our staff toward wisdom and we expose them to teachings and training and these type of things that deal with the personal development. So we tapped into that. Well, we started it. We do. We take one hour each month and we do that with our staff in small groups. And boy, is it, it's been like growing oak trees. You know, initially it, you don't see a lot. Yeah. You just know that you've planted the acorn and then something pops up good. And then eventually though, it becomes a real tree and starts providing value and shade and producing oxygen. And that thing just kept growing. Growing and we've been doing it for six years, and it's it's pretty good size now. The culture has truly changed because of the personal growth. That's something that's amazed me along my path of this business is how it's not just actually about the team members, but about the leaders within the organization as well. I mean, leaders create leaders. I started as a VA, and I was always surprised at how many people didn't want advice or insight or any feedback. They just wanted to give a task get it done and move on because they were the expert and they knew best, or at least that was their mentality. And the clients that I've had who I've seen thrive the most are those who are really trying to build their team and let their team know that their ideas and contributions are really well accepted and appreciated. Is that something that you've experienced? Yes. Uh, Kim, I think you're, you're spot on. I think, I think that that's what we've seen is when you're truly trying to grow other people and value them, they know that and they feel that. And, and what happens is, is the trust level goes up. You begin to trust each other because you're working to make each other successful. And I want my bosses uh, on campus to be very successful. I want those that answer to me to be extremely successful. And I know that it'll take care of everything for me if I can make those two groups very successful. Um, the trust, though, is the critical part that we're all going the same direction, that uh, there's no hidden agendas, that, and we're, we're openly communicating. But uh, it really cultivates a, a culture of trust uh, when you're doing exactly what you're saying, inviting people to the table, letting them voice their opinion, asking their opinion before you voice your opinion, and listening to it because you'll learn a lot, uh, especially from the people on the front lines that are actually engaged in the process. Do you have any statistics on what your turnover rate was before you started this initiative and what it looks like now? It's it's pretty much been honestly the same. I mean, I would love for you to I love to tell you that it's dropped, but we have we've had a relatively low turnover rate, uh, but it seems to stay consistent. And I'll tell you why: is we constantly tell our folks, don't settle for a job for a job. Pursue your dreams. Do what it is that you feel like you're wired to do. So I'll give you an example. We had a gentleman who was working for us as a student worker. He was going to school, and he got his degree in criminal justice, and he applied to work with us in grounds for full-time work. And when we interviewed him, I said, look, I'm so happy you're applying. You're a great worker. We'll benefit from having you here, but don't settle. Don't just take this job because you get a good pension and it's a steady paycheck and the good hours. And don't don't put the golden handcuffs on you and then 
you throw away that four-year degree that took you six years to get in criminal justice, and that's your passion. So he appreciated that, and he kept working. We hired him. He worked for us for probably two years until he got his dream job. And we were like, man, that's awesome. We were so happy. We got him two more years, and at the same time, he got to do something he wanted to do. So we have little stories like that that happen where people are constantly promoting or, or doing more and, and, and getting themselves better. So I think that's why our turnover rate is still about the same. It's probably right around 8%. I don't know what a good turnover rate is, to be totally honest. So <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. know if that's good or bad, but it sounds really awesome to me. I just... Well, I guess it was about a year ago I applied for a position doing customer support, actually, in an organization that I really wanted to be a part of. I wanted to get my toes in the water, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I actually got on a call with my mentor, who was the owner of the organization. And I will always appreciate the fact that he said, I have no doubt you would do a great job in this position. However, I know there's something better for you to do within the organization, so I'm not going to give you this job. Hmm. And I feel very appreciative just using your verbiage. I do feel like it would have been a job at that point. Mm-hmm. So I love going back to the story that you just shared, how he did actually stay around for two years, because often when we are just in a job, we don't even stay around that long. I've been there myself, but clearly he appreciated your, your values, though. Well, it's also your attitude towards your job is it. Some people quit working as soon as they find a job. Now think about that for a minute. You know, they, they get the job, but then they, they don't really engage. If you're not excited about it, you're not productive. You're costing the company money. And so we want our team to be fully engaged. We want them to love this type of work. Listen, we're outside working in the hot sun. We're working in poison ivy. We're cleaning up messes that other people make. And I literally, Pam, try to talk people out of working for us during the interview process. And I, and I really question why they want to be here because I want people who really want to do this. My husband works for a family owned retail shop and they have literally found employees sitting on the bathroom floor. Jeff, I have no idea why anybody would want to sit on the bathroom floor. <laughs> Even in my own house, I don't know that I'd want to sit on the bathroom floor. Yes. That's not the same. I agree. I, I think you get the point I'm going to. Yes. Sitting on the bathroom floor playing games on their smartphones. Oh dear. And not good. We're having such a problem getting people to show up on time that they actually started offering incentive bonuses to people who could show up for a whole week of work on time. Wow. And my husband is a is a manager at one of their locations and he got so fed up though because they were still having the issue of people showing up late that he finally laid it down with his direct boss or not direct boss but the owner and he said, "Why are you why are you giving bonuses to people who can't do their job because Right, because they want to, whereas people who were already doing it, you know, aren't being acknowledged. And it just turned on a, it was like the light bulb came on for his boss. Like, yeah, you're right. So I'm not saying that this is the way to do it, but he actually did send out a, a post to everybody because they use Facebook to communicate saying, we want you all to be here. If you can't be here on time, you have basically two shots. And then you're out and we won't have any problem finding somebody who does want to be here and do a good job. 
That's right. It all goes back to the three C's. It goes back to, are they competent? Do they have character? And is there chemistry? Does the chemistry line up? Do your core values line up with each other? And those are the three things that are highly important when you're hiring people. What does your interview process look like? And I know you just said that you do try to talk people out of working for you. Well, we try to standardize. I mean, just like any other company would so that we can do it quickly. And we we run through committees. Uh, We have a committee of people. We try to get a lot of our frontline staff involved in the process because they're going to be working uh, with the people. So they're they're on one of the committees that, that meets with them. But we found that the longer we take with a candidate. So a person interviewing for that job might come today, but let's have them come back again in a couple of days and interview um, with some different folks as well. And let's have a little different questions. And maybe we even take them out in the field and we walk through a few things and just visit a few areas and we, we get to know that person and get to hear them talk. We, we also introduce them to our landscape values, our landscape creed that we came up with, we developed, and we asked them to you know, go through the creed. What does it mean to them? What does it mean when we say lead by example? What does that mean to you? And we want our frontline staff to hear the answers to that to see if this person's chemistry is a good chemistry for what we're trying to do here on campus because ultimately we're trying to recruit people who are going to make this campus so pretty that we're we're recruiting the next doctor who's going to re- heal, you know, come up with a cure for cancer. Answer. You know, we got important work to do. We don't we don't need people who want to sit on the floor and play on their telephones and smartphones. So clearly your work in the last couple of decades has proved to be well worth it at the University of Mississippi. Can you share more about what that journey has looked like, like even for how the campus looks? And then I actually want to jump over to more about you as an author and speaker. I have never been to the University of Mississippi. So what has this whole process looked like as far as not just changing, well, I guess you changed the look of the team and now the team performs. So how? what about the way that the campus looks? Well, we've, we've taken the campus from a, a, I guess we have a lot of pretty trees and, and, and the buildings were nice to where we came in and we were actually able to get some one-time funding for landscaping where we came and upgraded around the buildings and made it look like somebody loved the buildings and loved the landscaping that there was ownership and that was the big part is is we didn't get a ton of money to do things on maintenance wise we, we really didn't get a, a lot of any for for about three years and so what we had to do is just do the the basics but make it look clean make it look love make it look like somebody had pride of ownership so that when people drove by they go hey somebody's taking care of this you know the there's no leaves in the area there's no there's no litter it the place looks nice it's uh, the fire ant hill you know we have a lot of fire ant hills here and they're sort of a nuisance. They're, they're being taken care of. And, and just put that pride back into it. It has to show by our beauty. It has to show by the reflection of the environment that we create. There's a statistics out there that says 62% of prospective students will make a decision in the first few minutes of a college visit if they're coming based on the appearance of the campus. So I've got a few minutes to connect with that mom and dad, with that that future student to get them excited about coming to Ole Miss. So I, we call that the wow factor. 
factor. We're always going after the wow factor. Uh, places where people drive by and they, and they literally go, wow, that's nice. I'd like that at my house or something like that. That's That's been the challenge, but it's been the fun. And, and I think we've done pretty good. We've gotten the five awards, national championships. So I think the campus has really turned around. You've actually got me thinking now about how this can be used at our houses and also in our businesses, even just our presence on social media or on our website. I know it's not exactly the same, but put the pride into your website and into your online presence. Don't let the weeds be there and make it, make it look good. Make people feel welcome and, and love it and want to know more. True. The extent of my landscaping right now is that there are only a couple weeds. But if anybody was to drive by my house, quite honestly, they would see that my children found a bucket of chalk and decorated my garage door. Well, good for them. Yeah. 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 But it's life. And That's right. So there's, there's a family portrait on our garage door. Oh, love it. Unless the rain goes horizontal, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, you know, gardens, if you don't do anything with a garden, eventually something will grow. And and that's usually things that we don't want to grow, weeds and things that we're not really pre- particularly fond of. So you have to be proactive. You have to be organized. You have to be positively, productively engaged in the process. So we want our teams to be that way. And I just found that if we work on building them, they'll take care of building a great, great campus. And they do. And we, we use this thing called Landscape University that we developed. And it's a way that we take our new staff and our existing staff through training, through our standards. And it's an it's a way that that allows us to scale quickly and quickly get a new person up to a high standard to knowing what what to do and how to do it. And we created this whole Landscape University several years ago, and, man, it has really saved us tons and tons of time in the way we do things. Are you teaching this to other organizations as well? We are. Uh, we teach this. I, I teach it. I, I do. That's part of my um, professional consulting that I do. I actually, It's been funny because other people recognize that it's not just a landscaping tool. It, it's a tool to use in the workplace. And so, yes, I've been, been fortunate enough to get to teach other people um, how to do that in their own businesses. Yeah, I can definitely see how it would be so useful from large corporations, even down to small businesses like mine, sewing something good. Well, it gets you, as an owner, you get your hands around your business. And then you have peace about, okay, this person's going to go through a process and learn step by step the things they need to know. And you don't have to sit there and stress out and go, oh, my goodness, did we teach them about this? Or did, did she learn how we're supposed to do this? Oh, my goodness, who's going to teach them on that? And, you know, you feel like you have to do all the teaching or somebody, you're one qualified person. This frees, frees you up. Landscape University frees you up for multiple people to teach it. And the great thing about this is our existing staff had a lot of input into the classes. So it became their program where they embraced it and enjoyed and really took ownership in Landscape University as their own. So you said Landscape University is is a big portion of your consulting. How did you transition into speaking and becoming an author? Was that something that had even started before the role that you have today? Well, I, I've always enjoyed speaking and, and taking people to the next level. I like to see other people become successful. And so it's I guess it's in my DNA. And I have talked to my – it's part of the vision 
mission of Ole Miss is going out to help communities and help states and the, our country to become the best it can be. So it just really fits in well with our already vision here. So I get to do that and explore those opportunities on, on where I can help others. And I, I think one of my big role models growing up, though, was Zig Ziglar. Really enjoyed him as a speaker and his storytelling. And, of course, he's from Yazoo City, Mississippi, right down the road from us here. And uh, really just always felt like he had a great impact for positive change in our culture. And I, I think in a lot of ways I wanted to emulate him in that, in that way. If you had to pick a favorite TED Talk and a favorite book, or perhaps I should say the most impactful, would you be able to do that? Sure. The book that, I'm, that I read the most is most often is, is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. That's one of my favorites. Uh, just wisdom from the ages, from the from the 1920s and 30s, the disciplines that he talks about. And then the TED Talks, there, there's, there's several TED Talks that, that I've, I've really enjoyed. But I think Simon... Simon Sinek. Thank you, Sinek. How Great Leaders Inspire Actions. Yes. It's one of my favorite. Yes, that is by far my favorite. And I only read Think and Grow Rich this year. It took me way too long to read it. Listeners, if you haven't read it, please listen. Did you like I, it? I did. And I actually, the only part I didn't like about it was that the copy I had didn't have page numbers. So I couldn't <laughs> refer to anybody what page I was reading when I wanted to say, hey, read this. It's phenomenal. I loved, though how he was talking about having his internal board of advisors, you know, who would be on that board of advisors. And it really got me thinking about who would be on my board that I would talk to, regardless of whether they're alive or deceased, but who would be on my board? Who would be on your board, Jeff? Well, I was going to ask you the same thing, but uh, quickly, uh, the people that I've put on my board so far have been Dwight Eisenhower, Jesus, Ronald Reagan, oh, who else? Uh, Napoleon Hill, Margaret Thatcher, Les Brown were some of the ones that I put on mine. And, and Abraham Lincoln. I haven't finished my board, though, because I, I like to add new people. I have to admit that I can't answer who I would put on my board because although I've thought about it, and I will say Jesus. Jesus was on my board, but that goes along with the, the saying, what would Jesus do? I really, I don't know who else that would be. I know who mentors are that I look at for inspiration today. I look at Brendan Burchard and, and Danielle Laporte and a, and a whole ton of others. But looking back at the past, I don't know. This is going to sound goofy, but a lot of people have always told my mother that she looked like Amelia Earhart. Mm-hmm. And I love, I don't know much about Amelia Earhart, except for I know she was a pilot, right? I yeah. Uh, okay. I just <laughs> I can see the pictures. I just want to make sure she wasn't just on the plane. That yeah. makes me I am smart. <laughs> and I love that she was doing something just so outside of her time, um, not the flying, but for a woman flying. But I think regardless of whether we're man or woman, just being brave enough to take that step outside. So and, true. Yeah. Just a step into the un- unknown. I'm going to have to challenge myself now to really start thinking about who I do have on my board or because it will sound silly to people who haven't read it. I don't want people to think that we're just talking to ourselves, <laughs> you know, Yeah. but looking inwardly and deciding, you know, how would those people 
move forward. It's a great book. It's a great exercise. It forces you to slow down, and it begins to make you think and meditate and to draw upon the, the wisdom that you've heard from, from those that you've read about and learned about in history. And it's a discipline. It truly is a discipline. It's not a flippant exercise that you can just sort of go through. And it's something that I'm I'm still working on. I have not I have not mastered as as Napoleon Hill has, but it is it is definitely something fun to to work through. Jeff, what did you want to be when you were growing up? I wanted to be a forest ranger. I wanted to sit in one of those big, tall towers and overlook all those pretty trees in the forest. If you could do anything different, would you want to? Would you go back and become a forest ranger, or do you like where you are now? No, I'm glad I didn't become a forest ranger. That would have been kind of a boring job now, but I would have enjoyed it for about a week and just hanging out up there. But um, I understand they do a lot of paperwork now, so I was really glad I didn't go that direction. <laughs> but no, I really like the career choices. I mean, it's interesting that you know failure is a great teacher, and many of the times my path has been guided by what looked like failure, but really were just closed opportunities of direction, to- totally new directions that I needed to go in. So I was a marketing major, failed marketing class class in college. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy much about the whole uh, process, but I truly enjoyed horticulture and found that that was just a good fit for me and glad that it happened that way. What was your first job? Well, my dad made sure I worked all growing up. So, I mean, I was driving tractors before I was 12 years old and chainsaws and those type of things. So I, I knew how to work. But my first real job that I wasn't working with my dad is I worked in a canning plant at Douglas County High School in Georgia where people brought in their vegetables, fresh vegetables and, and things, and we would run them through a, a canning process and, and cook them for them. And the hot heat, heat uh, this these big steamers would just heat up really, 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 um, oh, geez, very hot. And, man, I'm telling you, that room was just unbearable. And then, plus, you didn't have air conditioning at all. But, yeah, that's what I did my first, I think, seventh grade or eighth grade summer, maybe ninth grade summer. Oh, wow. I I never even knew that there were places like that, and especially <laughs> even in schools. Yeah. I don't think there are many of them around anymore. No. As your children have been growing up, what insight have you given them as far as choosing the path that they want to follow? Yeah, the, who you hang around with will influence your entire life. If you choose to hang around people with bad, bad character, they will pull you down to their level. If you choose to hang around with people with good character, good morals, goals, who value growth, you will become more like them. And that is probably the, one of the number one values we talk about a lot is you, you know, who you hang around is very important. We talk a lot about faith and that being real, that, that it's not a, it's not a Sunday morning decision. It's, it's, it's part of who you are. It's your DNA. It, it becomes you and you can express that in a lot of different ways. It's not about rules. It's about a relationship. That is huge, especially faith. And I've been amazed to watch even just my littles who are two and four. They actually get frustrated with me when we're in the car and I'm singing along to Caleb. We listen to Caleb everywhere, except for when I'm listening to podcasts. However, they, they get frustrated when I sing. Listeners, you've heard me say once, and I'll say it many more times, I won't sing on an episode if I can help it, because I know I will get a dozen plus unsubscribes immediately. <laughs> That's how bad it is, though. My kids tell me to be quiet so they can listen to to the songs on the radio. And, and I love hearing them embrace the faith through music. 
Oh, and, and beyond. That's great. Yeah, that's a super way. I mean, my wife Suzanne did that often. Is as you know, if, if the Bible tells us to, you know, to, to raise our children, you know, in, in, the, in those ways, and, and it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm reaping the benefits of so much of her work and raising them that way, that having the singing, the fun times, but constantly talking about the relationship with God. Do you see a difference between growing leaders in our home and growing leaders within the work? Place. There's a lot of similarities and there are some differences. I mean, it's similar that you're trying to cultivate those seeds of greatness inside both. You want them to be inspired. You want them to go and see opportunities, take responsibilities and not look for excuses. I mean, that's true for both sides. You know, it's a little bit different, though, because you can get a little bit more personal with your family. You can talk about your faith uh, and with your family and you can talk about those things that are truly uh, in the core of your life. We're at work, you, you you tend to have to close some of that off to some extent that you can't openly talk about your faith and work. And, and, and I, I think most people just respect that. But you can talk about core values that the group shares. You know, one of our core values for us is lead by example. And uh, that works for family and for a career. But, yeah, there's a lot of similarities, lots of similarities in both the home and the workplace. I love that about core values. I've also seen a parallel of communication between in the home and in the workplace, whether it's the communication between my team members and I or the communication between my clients and I. It has to be there. It has to be open. We have to know that it can flow both ways. And I found the same to be true with my kids and I. Sometimes, though, you know, I have to remind my kids that it needs to be with respect and especially the older ones keep the sarcasm out. (laughs) True. Because we we can fall into that trap. It's a good trap, but of being too too much like friends. And then when work needs to get done, it's too relaxed and it it becomes a hassle. And I think the, the same can be said in a workplace. You know, if we get too comfortable, sometimes we become relaxed about our work and that's when the weeds start growing, right? That's right. Yeah, the leader's always got to keep his his or her eye on what, what the purpose of the organization is. You know, and at work, I mean, it's great that we have good relationships and we get along, but, you know, ultimately our, our goal here is to create an incredible experience, an incredible campus. And so you have to go through the steps to get that, but it's, you're right. You you have to keep your eye on those things that are important. Definitely. Jeff, this has been an amazing conversation. Where can listeners connect with you online and get to know more about you and what you do? Well, Kim, I'm at jeffmcmanusspeaking.com. All my social media there. Love for to hear from your listeners there. And Kim, I'd like to offer, I do a one-day leadership training, and I wanted to give that to your listeners for free. It's a a PDF file. If they want to download that from jeffmcmanusspeaking.com slash positive. Oh, I love that. Yeah, listeners, this will be available as will all the resources and tools and books that we've talked about. You'll be able to find these links on the show notes at thekimsutton.com forward slash pp164 jeff thank you so much i know i'll be going and downloading right away awesome well thank you so much kim for having me and thank you for what you're doing oh thank you as well jeff do you have a 
last bit of parting wisdom or a golden nugget that you can pass to listeners? I believe that I want to take a quote from Napoleon Hill from Think and Grow Rich that has helped me when I wanted to quit, when I've wanted to stop. And the quote is, one of the most common causes of failure is the habit of quitting when one is overtaken by temporary defeat. It's just temporary. Don't stop. Keep persevering.